and Dover. We've talked about the, the big story, the story of God's redemption of the world, how we were created for good but corrupted by evil, and how we live in that corrupted world as also corrupted people. We experience, we experience the consequences of sin both because of what we do and because of the world around us. And the good news, the thing that, that makes us God's people, the gospel, is that we have been redeemed. That Jesus died, he rose again from the dead, and that because of that, we can die to sin and live a new life in him. And not only that, we've been sent out, commissioned by Jesus to, to bring healing into the world by sharing that good news and by serving people through our words and our deeds. And so as we continue through the membership folder, we've shared a digital copy of this in our email each week, and we'll continue to do so, so you can follow along with us in that. You can grab a copy off the back. We'll need to make more of these. But even if you're already a member of this church, I would really encourage you to review this material. Um, it's not too long. Um, and to think about what it means. To think of not just about what it means to be a church member, but what it means for you to be a part of this church and the story that God is writing in this church. How, how the story that God is writing in your life and this one intersect and grow together. We're going to think about that a little bit this morning as we continue in this, um, answering two questions. What is the church, and uh, why does the church exist? And then we're going to think just a little bit about what it means to be a disciple, what having an identity in Christ looks like. So let's, let's start right in there. We're moving through this packet. It starts with a question. What is the church? What is the church? It's God's family of new creations. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So why does the church exist? The church exists to make disciples of Jesus through the church and into the world. Again, in Ephesians, it says, This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. We will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow, so that the whole body is healthy and growing, full of love. As I say each week, you know, I'm, I'm grateful that you're here together to worship God and to be with his people, because that's, that's what this is all about. Right, when we talk about the church and what God has done, we're never talking about simply what one person has experienced. We're not Christians alone, and we're not disciples alone. When we say that God's family of new creations, he has adopted us into something. There has to be a family, a group that exists to join into, and that's what the church is, and that's what we are here together. Not only that, but this is what he's wanted to do, and, and doing it gives him great pleasure. So as we think about this, making disciples, what, what is a, a disciple? 
We get the word from, from the accounts in the gospel when Jesus would call people to him. He would meet someone like, like Peter, and he would say, follow me. This person would, would turn away from what they were doing, and they would follow after Jesus. When it comes to many of the disciples who were fishermen, they literally abandoned their, their nets, their boats, and came right up after Jesus. They turned away from things that weren't even necessarily wrong. There's nothing wrong with being, about being a fisherman, having a, having a job and providing for your family, and yet still, they turned away from those things to follow Jesus. And so discipleship implies a relationship. You can't just be, you can't be a disciple by yourself with information. A disciple is someone who is following someone else, right? And that's what was happening time and time again throughout the gospel. Discipleship is about having a relationship with Jesus. And so each and every one of us is not just aware of and can quote Ephesians 1, well, God decided to adopt me, and I know this information, but, but we're people who have actually entered into that relationship with God and with one another. And so as we, as we continue in this sermon series, and this morning's sermon, I'll be honest, is going to be pretty short and very simple. And I've said almost everything that I want you to know, and I'm just going to keep saying it again for a few minutes, and then we're going to continue. Um... When we think about what it means to be a disciple, I want us to think about what a relationship is actually like. A relationship involves emotion, involves knowledge, involves intimacy. Intimacy is knowledge that is accompanied by emotion. And you can, I can know a lot about someone that I have never met like people, you know, I, I, <laughs> Jerry Seinfeld would say this a lot, right? People have watched Seinfeld. There's so many seasons of it. There's so many reruns of it. And you feel like you know this person. And so by chance, you meet Jerry Seinfeld on the streets of New York, and you want to talk to him as if you know him because you do know so much about him, so much knowledge and information. But he doesn't know you at all, and you don't know him at all, and it's this very awkward, strange interaction and many, you know, many celebrities, many, anyone who has, is in the public eye has had an experience like that. Knowledge alone is, is not intimacy. And so a relationship does. It, it involves intimacy. Knowledge, yes, but also emotion, feeling. And that's why, again, I go back to that passage in Ephesians. This is what God wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure in our, in our packet, there is something called the Life in Christ workbook. So many of you who are members have, have gone through this at some point, maybe five, eight years ago. And the workbook is very simple. It has sections on personal identity, relational capacity, personal discipleship. It has questions about, you know, who, who do you have in your life who can correct you? Uh, what, what kind of, how do you manage conflict, right? It's trying to evaluate whether you have matured, whether you are maturing. But the very first question, and I, 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 this is the one I want us to think about this morning, under the section personal identity says, how does God feel about you, and how do you know 
Now, it's very easy to just go back again to Ephesians and say, I know that God is pleased with me and that he has adopted me into his family, and I know that because it says it there in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5. And that's good. That is a good way to answer this question. And there are so many other passages in the Bible that you could go to to answer it. Maybe, maybe some are springing to your mind. But again, we, to really grow in our discipleship, it's not enough to just be able to remind ourselves of information. We want not just to know that God has done these things, but to know that he feels this way and to feel that emotion and feel it for him. So here are a couple ways that that happens in our life. I'm going to share this from my own experience. I grew up in a Christian home and knew the gospel, knew about God and Jesus from a really young age. And, you know, if you had asked me questions like this, I could have given you the right answers even as a child. I had a great deal of knowledge about the Bible and about God. My dad is, to this day, a pastor himself. He was, for 30 years, a Bible professor at a Christian college. So knowledge was abundant, plentiful for me. And as a teenager, I had no, nothing to do with that knowledge. It had no real value to me. If, if, I, if I really answered the question honestly, how does God feel about me? I would answer with how I felt about myself. I feel, as a 14-year-old, a 15-year-old, as many do, I feel disappointed in myself. I feel angry with myself, confused about who I am and what my purpose is. Um, I don't know what I'm good at. I can't decide what I care about. It changes week to week and month to month. Um, I don't know what the future holds, and I don't necessarily like myself. I'm very disappointed in myself. I can't imagine that God would feel anywhere, any other way about me. And I'd like to say that that is a unique experience, that once you, once you're, you know, grow out of being a teenager, that you don't have that anymore, but if we're honest with ourselves. All too often, yes, we know the right answer to that question, how does God feel about me, but we don't answer it honestly. So often how we feel about ourselves is really what informs how we think that God feels about us. We prioritize our experiences and our emotions, and it's natural to do that. But that did change for me. And it changed because I became part of a community. See, early on in my teen years, we had changed churches. My dad had, become the, had the opportunity to become the pastor of another church than the one we were going to. It was, it was a small church, though, and really didn't have a lot of other kids in it. Um, especially kids my age. There was a small group of us. We'd get together every month or two, and it was good. It was fun to, to play street hockey and whatever with the other guys, but, but we really didn't have community together. And when I was 15, I, I reconnected with a church youth group um, at a church I had been attending in the past, and the youth, the youth pastor at the time was my dad's student, and he was like, oh, send your, send your son over to my church, and so I started participating in that group week to week to week. And it was in that community that the knowledge that I had about God had opportunity to be experienced. So I was able, when I, when it, when I, when I would tell myself that God loved me and that he cared about me and that I was fearfully and wonderfully made, that he had given me gifts 
I was able to begin to believe that because I could see it being expressed in the relationships that were forming between me and my, my fellow teenagers and the leaders in that group. We would be able to sit down together and talk about the Bible. Someone would share something and need prayer, and I, all of a sudden, could use the knowledge that I had to actually affect someone instead of just having it. And as I was able to share that with, with other people, I realized that it was true of me as well. I remember very distinctly someone, another, uh, another student, they were just, just confused about, like, they're like how, do I, how do I get into heaven? I, I've, I've heard all of these things, and I've been to this church and that church, and we used to be Catholic, and now I'm this, and I just like, like, when I get to the pearly gates, am I going to have to say the right words? And he just had this crazy confluence of popular culture ideas and some Bible and some traditions all mixed together. And he was legitimately, though, quite confused. And I, I just said, no, no, it's, you, you believe in Jesus, that he's, that he's Lord? That, that means that he's in charge, that he's king, right? Um, he, he died and he rose from the dead. You, you believe that, right? And he said, well, yeah, but what about, what about all this other stuff? What about this? What about that? I was like, no. Man, that's it. Yes, we can learn and you can grow, and the, the, no, that's, that's all you need. Jesus is Lord. He died for you. He loves you. And he believed that. And he said, that's such a relief to me. And I don't know, like, I don't know where he got the other ideas that he was sharing that were confusing him, but I was able to share that with him, and it, it took those things away, and it, I could see God's love affect him and change him, and I could see that he was moving from just a place of knowing, okay, God's going to bring me to heaven when I die, but that God loved him and had done something incredible for him in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And so I was beginning to believe that not just know, but believe that that was true of me as well. And so when I say, how does God feel about me? Oh, he, he loves me like a child. He loves me like I'm his son. And m though I am inadequate, and though, you know, I'm sure that there, there, were, there were more comprehensive answers to that young man's question, um, you know, I remember thinking, like, why doesn't the youth pastor answer this? Why isn't somebody else? Like, why am I doing this? God, in his goodness, chose to use me in that moment to answer a question in a simple way to accomplish something profound in another person's life. That's why the church exists. Whether it's teenagers figuring out the basics of the gospel, whether it's, whether it's adults, um, bringing reconciliation to a broken marriage or delivering someone from addiction or celebrating a new marriage and the birth of a child, the things that happen in our lives that we share with one another, these, this is how God works. This is how he forms us. And so it is essential to be committed to one another because in the experiences that we share together, the knowledge that we have about God becomes real, and we are able to experience 
that knowledge in our emotions, in our feelings, and in our lives. So when I say, how does God feel about me? I, I know that he loves me because I've felt his love in the worship that we share together, in the conversations that I've had in my community group, in the prayers that I have shared with you all, in the, in the planning meetings that I have with Jamie, in everything that we do together. Not every time, it's not some transcendent experience every time we do everything, but as these experiences continue, and they're grounded in, in, these, in these truths, the knowledge becomes realer and realer. I want you to think about that this week. And I've only given you one verse here this morning in Ephesians. I'll, I'll give you another one in just a moment. And again, I said there are so many verses in the Bible that tell us how God feels about us. And I want you to find some that, that answer that question for you. And I want you to think about experiences that you've had in your life, and especially experiences you've had in this church that, make that, that have helped make that knowledge tangible, have helped you to feel it, and to know it. I want you to share those things with your community group members. Share them with your, with your spouse, with your, with your friends. Talk about those things together. How does God feel about me, and how do I know? And then continue on. Do, whether you've done it before or, haven't, or, or not, um, get, it off our web, get it off our email, grab a packet in the back, go through this entire thing, this Life in Christ workbook. Take a moment to self-reflect and to think, to reevaluate where you are, not just as a member of this church, but as a disciple of Jesus. What relationships in your life are, are lacking? What, what, what commitments have, have slipped? I mean, we have been through a brutal year and a half. You know, what, what, what unhealthy habits have snuck in? Because the community that we share together is what God is going to use to comfort you, to correct you, to heal you, um, and to bring you joy and celebration and the good things. So think about these things. Share them with one another. I have two more things to share with you this morning. For me, uh, this is, I, I shared the Ephesians verse. It's there in our packet. It's a great one. The, the verse that I always come back to for myself when I want to answer this question about how God feels about me is in 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 9 to verse, uh, I think it goes through verse 10 here. Um, I read this for you. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And that's who we are. Chosen, royal, holy, possessed, owned by God to proclaim his excellencies. Once I had not received mercy, I knew about mercy, and I could describe it to you, but, but now, because of my involvement with that church and many churches since, and because of my involvement in this church today, I have received and continue to receive mercy from God. And he uses you all to do that. He uses our worship together to do that. He does that for you as well.
I've shared, I think I've shared this before, but I'll, I'll, I'll share it again. I think about how God feels about us in, I, this I suppose this is a parable. It's, it's, it's like a father and his child, let's say a, a father and, a, and, a, and his daughter. I, I happen to have a, a three and a half year old daughter. It's like a father and his daughter uh, making muffins together. Dad is really good at making muffins. It's, it's actually very easy for him. Um, the daughter really likes to eat muffins, but, you know, she's not so good at it. So who wants, who wants that to happen, though, for them to make those muffins together? Dad does. So dad says, come on, let's make muffins together. And at first, the daughter's really excited about it, and she's helping get the get the ingredients out, baking soda goes here, and get the muffin tin, and all this, all the little cups that go in the muffin tin, they're all different colors. It's really fun, and it's exciting to work together with her dad. Um, and then we have to start measuring things. And you have to be a little bit delicate. You know, it's muffins, so you can make some mistakes, but not too many. You gotta crack eggs open and break, and, and, and dump them, and uh, this, Daughter starts to get frustrated because, you know, she spilled something. She cracked the egg and it got all over her fingers. There's shell all in there and dad's got to be fishing it out. And she's starting to feel like, I'm just going to let you finish this and uh, I'm going to eat the muffins later. But dad says, no, 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 no. I want you to finish this with me. I want you to do this with me. And the daughter says, no, but, but, but Why? I'm not good at this. I can't, I'm not helping you. I'm making this process harder, if anything. <sighs> but dad doesn't want her help. He wants her. And he wants her to be like him. Because of how he feels about her. Because he loves her. Because she belongs to him. Because he wants her to grow up and to be able to do the things that he can do. So often, as we live the Christian life, we stumble and we fall. We make, we make mistakes. And we may be tempted to think that the problem, you know, the problem with the church, the problem <laughs> with, uh, with this community is, is me. And maybe they'd be better off without me. And we'd be wrong. We'd be wrong. God wants you, and he wants you despite your failures and your mistakes, even the ones that you haven't made yet. He knows, that they're, he knows about them already. Now, he wants you because this process of life together, of being his church, it's going to make us like him. This is how he's chosen to do that. And by his grace and by his mercy, we're going to be like him. More and more in this life, and ultimately, perfectly in the next, when we rise from the dead in a new heaven and a new earth. So as we await that, we walk together, we experience more and more God's mercy and love, we build one another up. Let's pray together. O Lord of hosts, in your providence, mercy, and love, you have chosen a people for yourself. Once we were no one, 
we lived in darkness. We were slaves to sin and death. Now and forever, you call us your own. You're chosen, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, free servants who declare your glory, proclaim your excellence. Remind us again that as we await the fullness of your kingdom, we live in this time and place as exiles. Strengthen our spirits to do your will, to be fruitful and multiply, to love the places, towns, and cities you have placed us in, to work for their good, to honor their laws, to do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly with you. All for the sake of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Do you stand to